Hey, welcome to MRCC Church Online. We're so glad you're here, that you've joined us today. And we actually have a short little video clip to show you about an opportunity that's coming up. Hello, my MRCC family. My name is Dean Eric Smith, and I am cordially inviting you to join me in my upcoming six-week masterclass called Freedom Through Forgiveness. That's right, for nine Mondays in a row on Zoom, starting November 9th, we are gonna come together and learn how to truly receive God's forgiveness and give God's forgiveness to others. Listen, there is a lot of craziness in this world right now. Have you noticed? And it's messing with your thinking, I'm guessing. It's, it's, it's tangling up your emotions and it's causing you to make choices that, that maybe aren't completely in line with who you're committed to being. Well, guess what? Forgiveness is God's solution to a problem he calls sin. If you could use better connection with someone in your life right now, if you wish that you had more relationship with Jesus or even felt better about yourself, then this six-week masterclass called Freedom Through Forgiveness is for you. All you have to do is go to this link below and register right away. Spaces are limited. This is your chance, my friends, to experience more peace, more joy, and more love and connection in your life with God and others. Freedom Through Forgiveness, register today. Awesome, that class is gonna be an amazing yeah. opportunity. Uh, it's getting close to being Christmas time. My favorite. Allison, it's gonna be so <laughs> great. What that means for us at MRCC is mm -hmm. we participate with Samaritan's Purse International mm -hmm. in something called Operation Christmas Child. And what that is, is it's getting Christmas gifts to some of the highest need kids in the entire world in developing nations. So what you can do is we can partner in that. On October 25th, you can pick up a box and it will help you know what kind of gift you can get a kid who's really really got a big need this year and you can bring that back and we'll make sure they get their gifts. Awesome. Yeah, we'll be having those right here in our in-person services, but also we're going to have boxes outside for you just to even drive by and pick them up. Awesome. So that way, uh, if you'd rather, you can just drive by and pick one up. Very cool. Uh, yeah, it's awesome. And the other thing we have coming up is, um, you know, the favorite time of kid, kid time of year. Yeah. October. October. <laughs> Candy. Candy time. Candy time. Yes. Um, our Moths group is going to be doing a trunk or treat on October 27th, so you can check that out uh, to participate in that during the day. Yeah. And then for us, uh, you know, the 31st falls on uh, Saturday. So right. we're going to have a ton of fun right here in the parking lot at MRCC. Uh, we have a huge maze that's going to be up there, tons of candy, tons of games in the parking lot, that kind of thing. Really and cool. I'm super excited about it because it's really for the whole family. Yeah. We're going to have some kid-friendly kind of games and drift bikes and an inflatable, all that Ooh. kind of stuff going on from 2 to 4. But we're going to leave the maze and a couple activities open all the way till 5 o'clock yeah. uh, so that some of the older kids too can enjoy that as well. So tons of fun, right? It's going to be super cool. Um, <laughs> yeah. Hey. Uh, there's a lot of really cool ways to connect right now at MRCC, and we're ah. excited about that. If God is calling you to make Mount Rainier Christian Center your home church, uh, we want to invite you to be a part of our membership class. That's going to start on November 1st at 6 p.m. on Sunday evening. It's a three-week class, and it's just a way for you, again, if you're called to this church, to begin to engage in what it means uh, in being a part of this church. So we're excited about that. We'd love to see you there. Yeah, and even if they just have a few questions. Right? Yeah. Yeah, come on by. Totally. I absolutely love it. It's totally. going to be on Sunday night starting November 1st. Yeah. 6 p.m. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Hey, if you have any questions or any needs, uh, just look on our website or give our church office a call. Uh, we would love to connect with you in any way that we can. So, yeah, yeah. with that, should we Very worship cool. God together? Let's worship. Let's worship Him. Amen. Good morning, MRCC. Our God is so good. So let us offer Him up this praise and worship. We worship you, Lord. Yeah.
worship our King. Come, let us bow at His feet. He has done great things. Yes, He has. See what our Savior has done. See how His love overcomes. He has done great things. He has done great things. Let's lift it up. Oh, hero of heaven, you conquered the grave. You freed every captive and break every chain. Oh, God, you have done great things. We dance in your freedom, awaken alive. Oh, Jesus, our Savior, your name lifted high. Oh, God, you have done great things. Hallelujah.
Father, we are surrounded by so much uncertainty, but we know that you never change. You are always true. Let us cling to that truth as we worship. When darkness tries to roll over my bones, when sorrow comes to steal the joy I own, when brokenness and pain is all I know Declare this I won't be shaken No, I won't be shaken Will you lift this up today from our hearts? My fear doesn't stand a chance When I stand in your love My fear doesn't stand a chance When I stand in your love My fear doesn't stand a chance to you. 
Yes, that's our declaration as your church. You are a blessed assurance. Let us not forget the power of Christ, his death, and his resurrection. How great you are, Lord. We worship you. We stand in awe of who you are, and we worship you. Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made, I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, Thy power throughout the universe display. Yes, then sings my soul. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to Thee. How great Thou art! How great Thou art! Then sings my soul. Sent him to die, I scarce can take it. That on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. Yes, so we sing, then sings my soul. Oh, oh. 
Father, we worship you for who you are. We proclaim your goodness, your greatness. Lord, you never change. This world so seemingly changes daily around us, Father, but you remain the same. Your goodness remains the same. Let us rest on that truth as your church. And we pray, amen. Well, church, we are about to partake in Holy Communion together. So go ahead and grab those elements that you prepared earlier and let us partake and remember in the power of Jesus together, his death and his resurrection. You know, we start with the bread. And in his word it says, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. Let us partake together, church. Lord, we reflect on the power of the cross, your body which was broken for us, the pain that was dealt, our penalty unto you. Jesus, what more can we say but thank you? And then afterwards, it says, in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink this. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let us partake together, church. Father, we drink from this cup in remembrance of the blood, this new covenant that washes sin white as snow that you offer to us as a gift, but not without pain, not without penalty for your son, Jesus. We worship you. We thank you that you love this world so much that you would offer your son on our behalf. And three days later would rise again and that we would celebrate this week after week, day after day in holy worship and gathering and teaching. Father, we just thank you so much for this gift and this new life in you, for we are raised up to life in Jesus. So we offer up our hearts in this time of worship for all that you are. As your sons and daughters, we pray, amen. Amen, church. Thank you so much for gathering with us today. Hey, welcome everyone. It is sure great to gather with you again. I'm glad you could find a time, whether this is during first or second or third service or sometime during the week. It, it's just good to be with you. And, and being together like this is real. It's what the Bible calls being together in spirit. So welcome. Uh, it's good to have you here. Thanks, Pastor Weston and the worship team. And it's always good to receive communion together. What a blessing that is, Jesus gave us that communion that we might feel again and again what he has done for us. So receive that into your spirit as well. And, and let's continue our journey together in Philippians. Grab your Bible, turn it to Philippians chapter 3. We're moving right through the four chapters of Philippians together as a church family this fall. And we find ourselves in chapter 3 beginning with verse 1. And you'll remember that we said part of maturing as a Christian, part of growing up in our faith, is receiving God's word on its own terms. 
Instead of treating our, our circumstances as the essential reality and scripture as a commentary on it, we treat scripture as the fundamental reality and then we move from that to our lives. And, and we learn to do that when we take God's word on its own terms, when we go verse by verse. And so that's what we're doing here in Philippians chapter three. So beginning with verse one, let's, let's listen to the Lord together. Do you know what an old wives' tale is? You probably heard that phrase before. An old wives' tale is something that's handed down from generation to generation as if it's true, but it really isn't. And life is filled with old wives' tales. They're all around us. Uh, you know, it's just from something as simple as the idea that somebody is lucky or unlucky. We talk about that as if it's real. Of course, there's, there's no reality to it. It's an old wives' tale. A person isn't fundamentally lucky or unlucky. They may experience good luck or bad luck, but luck in and of itself isn't a real thing. It's just a way we talk about things. It's an, an old wives' tale. I ran across a few old wives' tales this week, and, and, and some of these might, uh, might catch your attention. For example, uh, you may have heard that if you pull out a gray hair, two more will come in its place. Of course, there's no truth to that whatsoever. Uh, scientists tell us our follicles are unrelated. You may have heard, I know I heard from my mom when I was a kid that sitting too close to the TV will make you go blind. It's not true. It's an old wives' tale. It actually originated back in the 60s when General Electric issued a TV that emitted some unwelcome radiation. They recalled those TVs and put the whole thing away. But because of that incident, to this day, we think that sitting too close to the TV will somehow impair your eyesight. It's an old wives' tale. Maybe you've heard that cracking your knuckles will cause arthritis. Doctors tell us there's no truth to that. It's an old wives' tale. Maybe you heard that eating carrots or vitamin C improves your night vision. That's an old wives' tale. It's actually rooted in World War II. The British had developed a radar that was allowing their planes to find German planes at night, and they didn't want the Germans to know that, so they spread a myth. They created an urban legend, an old wives' tale that their pilots were eating lots of carrots and vitamin C. You know, the funny thing about it is that the German pilots ended up eating lots of carrots themselves and didn't really make any difference. Maybe you've heard this old wives' tale that, uh, that the tryptophan in Turkey on Thanksgiving Day is what makes you sleepy. Not true. It's an old wives' tale. You say, I, I know I get sleepy on Thanksgiving afternoon. Yeah, it's because you eat a lot. That's what makes you sleepy. It has nothing to do with the tryptophan in the turkey. Doctors have been trying to tell us this for decades, but the, the old wives' tale persists. Maybe you've heard, like I heard again from my mom, that swallowed gum takes seven years to digest. It's nonsense. It's an old wives' tale. The truth of the matter is that gum digests even faster in our bodies because it's primarily made of sugar. So there's an old wives' tale. Maybe you heard that reading in dim light will hurt your eyes. It doesn't. It actually exercises them. You might get a headache from it because you're over-exercising your eyes, but it doesn't impair your eyes. The old wives' tales are all around us. They're everywhere. There are lots of them. And most of them do no real harm. But sometimes they can be very dangerous. Uh, for, uh, for example, I read an article about a couple in Arizona who in April of this year drank fish tank cleaner because they had heard that it contained a chemical that would cure them of COVID. The tragedy is that the man who drank the fish tank cleaner died and his wife almost died. She spent several weeks in the intensive care unit. The idea that this chemical would cure them was an old wives' tale. And in that way, they can be dangerous. 
The most dangerous old wives' tales of all are the ones about God and about ourselves. Some people, for example, say that, that God doesn't really care about sin, but he does because of what it does to us. Some people say that God will never really judge the world, but he promises that he will and tells us that he's only delaying to give everyone a chance to get right with him. Some people say God shouldn't be feared, but Jesus says he should because he is love. He is dangerous to that which is evil and wicked and not good. And then there's the most dangerous old wives' tale of all, the one that says, I'm a good person, so I'm going to heaven. You know, the gospel is that we become good people when heaven gets into us. Not that by being good people we go to heaven. In fact, the gospel tells us that righteousness with God is a gift that he gives us when we believe in Jesus. And that's what the Apostle Paul is going to focus our attention on here in this first part of Philippians chapter 3. He's going to emphasize that we must recognize that salvation is a gift God gives, that righteousness with God is a gift He gives us, and that remembering that is the key to growing and persevering in our faith. Philippians chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. Let's, let's listen to what the Bible says to us. Remember, Paul's writing from prison. He's writing to the believers at Philippi. And here's what he says, beginning with verse 1. He says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same thing to you, and it is a safeguard to you. Rejoice in the Lord. How is rejoicing a safeguard? Well, as we're going to see in a moment, it is a safeguard for us because it, it reconnects us with the fundamentally good news of the gospel that our righteousness with God comes from God. It is given to us as a gift that God has made us his own in Jesus and that he gives us his grace as a gift. Remembering this fact, Paul says in verse 1, will keep you safe. It is a safeguard for you. The Greek word that he uses there is really interesting. It is used to describe secure footing, finding solid ground to put your feet on. If you've ever walked on ice and felt the uncertainty and the instability and then suddenly stepped off the ice onto solid ground, that's what Paul wants us to feel with regard to, that, to our salvation. He says, when you rejoice in the Lord, it puts your, your spirit, your soul on solid ground. And the flip side of that is when we stop celebrating, we start weakening in our faith because celebrating is how we remind ourselves that salvation is a gift, a gift that God gives us. You know, on a shelf in my office are, are a bunch of gifts that, that our son Isaiah gave me when he was a boy. And I didn't earn any of them, but his giving of them tells me something about him and me and our relationship. And, and that's why Paul wants us to rejoice in our salvation so that we remember what's true about our relationship. And as soon as he says that, Paul thinks of the people who don't do that, of the people who focus in their faith more on what they can do for God than what God has done for them. So as soon as he says, rejoice in the Lord, it is a safeguard for you. Look at verse 2. He, he launches into a diatribe against those who don't adopt that attitude. He says, watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. 
For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God. We'll talk about what that means in a moment. We who glory in Christ and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. And then he talks about what he's done for God. He says, if anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness. He says, I was faultless. Now he says that because the people that he's talking about put all the emphasis on what they could do for God or had done or intended to do instead of what God has done for us. And knowing that, Paul uses very strong language to refer to them. He calls them dogs. You know, there's no stronger put down in Jewish culture of that time than to, to use that term to refer to someone. You know, here in the 21st century, we know that the greatest insult we can give somebody is to call them a cat, not a dog. I'm kidding. But Paul is very strong about this. He calls them men who do evil, mutilators of the flesh. Now he's talking about Jewish people, his fellow Jews, who had put more emphasis on what they did for God than what God did for them. And Paul says, watch out for those folks. He says, I have put no confidence in what I do for God. It's all in what God has done for me. And when Paul says, it is we who are the circumcision, he's referring to the fact that Jews looked at circumcision, the experience of it, as the proof uh, that they had done what God required. But in fact, if you read the story, God gave circumcision to the Jewish people as a symbol of what God had done for them. But the Jews of Paul's day had completely forgotten that. And the Christians were tempted to believe what the Jews were saying about what we do for God as opposed to what God has done for us. And so Paul contrasts the two and he says, no, look, I, I, I've done all that stuff but I've learned because of Christ not to put any confidence in it, not to put any hope in it. Paul says it is we, believers in Jesus, who are the circumcision, we who have actually entered into righteousness with God. You know, think about this another way. A man isn't a husband just because he's put a ring on his finger and signed some paperwork and said some special words on a special day. He's a husband when he loves his wife so much that he becomes her servant and her sacrifice, a devoted friend to her. And when he puts her first in his heart, that, that's what makes a man a husband. The other stuff is, is just, you know, on the side. It's just sometimes the evidence that he has chosen all those things. Paul says there's a difference between being religious and knowing God, and he puts no confidence in what he has done for God. And that's why in verse 9 he uses a really important phrase that every follower of Jesus wants to understand. In verse 9 he says that he wants to have the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. A righteousness that comes from God, not from Him. In verses 7 and 8, Paul says, whatever was to my profit, I consider loss for the sake of Christ. Whatever I've done for myself, whatever religious hoops I've jumped through, I, I set those aside in order to receive the gift Jesus is giving. He says, I consider everything a loss, all the Jewish stuff that I did, compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ as my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. 
to emphasize a righteousness from God. The apostle says he puts no confidence in the flesh. Again, he doesn't count on what he's done for God, but on what God has done for him. Let me just ask you today, in your heart, what are you counting on? What you've done for God or what he's done for you? When you put the weight of your, your, your relying, when you're relying on what Christ has done for you, there's endless reason for rejoicing because his work is finished. But when you begin to focus on what you've done for him, well then, there's weariness, there's sorrow, there's a sense of failure. Paul says to the believers, it is a safeguard for you to rejoice. You need to remember that it's what he's done for you. I think of the old hymn, On Christ the Solid Rock I Stand, the words of which capture this beautifully. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. When we grasp that, when we choose that, when we rely on the righteousness God gives us, then, then we're able to rejoice. Paul lists all his Jewish religiosity and then says, it means nothing. I have right standing with God because of what Jesus has done for me. You know, uh, to grasp this kind of in contemporary terms, uh, our son, our adult son, he, he lives in another city, but he has a key to our home. He didn't earn the key to our home. We just gave him the key to our home. And so he is welcome in our home because of what we've given him, not because of what he's earned. In the same way, God in Christ gives us righteousness, gives us right relationship with him because of Jesus. And remembering this and rejoicing is a safeguard for us. I remember when I was in the Navy many years ago, and one year I, I was given a, a medal, something called the Navy Achievement Medal. It was kind of a big deal. An admiral flew up from California and there was a ceremony and a big crowd attended. And only one of these medals was given out by each command each year. And so this was kind of a big deal. But if, if I'm honest with you, I know for a fact that I, I wasn't given that medal because I achieved something remarkable. Uh, I was given that medal because my commanding officer appreciated me personally and he wrote me up for it. I remember thinking at the time, wow, I, I haven't done anything to earn this, but it's being given to me nonetheless. To this day, I have that medal and when I look at it, I don't think I'm great. <laughs> I don't think I did something great. Instead, I remember a commanding officer who, who liked me, who appreciated me and who put me in for that. In the same way, God says, recognize that grace is a gift that he's given to you and rejoice in it. When my wife and I were newlyweds back in the 80s, we moved to California. We had virtually nothing in our home except some kitchen utensils and a couple of mattresses and a box spring, not even a, a full bed. Um, and uh, we had only been down there a couple of weeks and, and we were out on a Saturday and we, we walked into a department store and it just so happened when we walked into that department store that we were the 1,000th the customer to enter this department store that had just opened. And when we walked through the door, uh, a bunch of lights and noise happened and people came up to us and congratulated us. And, and it turned out that this department store was doing a giveaway 
to their 1,000th customers. And they handed us a microwave oven, pretty precious to us because we had almost nothing in the kitchen, but also this was the early 80s, almost nobody had a microwave oven. And this thing was huge and wood paneled and weighed a ton. But Rhonda and I looked at each other and just laughed because we had been blessed with such an unforeseen and undeserved gift. We went home that day and put our microwave in our little apartment and really felt like we were somebody because we had been given a gift. Paul says that the follower of Jesus wants to stay in that frame of mind, remembering what he's done for us that we didn't deserve, but he's done for us. And when we grasp that, then we're able to discover something crucial and important about who God is. See, we must let this grace, this undeserved gift, have its way with us. And when we do, we discover something about who God is that can't be discovered any other way. I think of a, a story that you'll find in John's Gospel, chapter 4, about Jesus meeting a woman at a well one afternoon. His disciples had gone into town to get food for lunch, and Jesus was, was sitting there at the well alone, waiting for them to return. And a woman came to get water from the well. She came at midday, which was the time when, you know, kind of the undesirables came. It wasn't a popular time. There were likely to be few people there. And she came to get water from the well for her home, and Jesus, seeing her, asked for a drink. And she responded by saying, you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan. Why would you ask me for a drink? You know, it's, it's hard to imagine, but there were culture wars in those days, just like there are in our day. And she was caught up in it. She says, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. You know, we don't, we don't connect like this. We don't take care of each other. And Jesus responded to her and said this. He said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. In other words, Jesus said, I have a gift for you. And if you knew the gift that I have for you, then you wouldn't balk at me asking you for a drink. Instead, you'd ask me for one. Well, they chit-chat for a moment, and the woman is intrigued, and eventually she says, give me this water. Jesus says, this water will spring up to eternal life. You'll never be thirsty again. She says, ah, yeah, give me that water. And the next thing Jesus does surprises many people. He puts his finger on her sins. We think of that as an incredibly unwelcome thing. We don't want anybody to put their finger on our sins. Jesus puts it this way. He says to her, go call your husband and come back. She says, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, yeah, I know you've had five. And the man you're with now is not your husband. A moment like that, we think of as very unwelcome. We don't want that to happen to us. We resent it. We resist it. We run from it. But Jesus is putting his finger on her sin because of the gift that he wants to give her. Now, we don't know how Jesus knew her story. Maybe it was miraculous. Maybe it was supernatural. Maybe he overheard her conversation with another woman on the road as they approached the well. That's certainly possible. Maybe he heard the conversations of other women about her 
because as a Samaritan woman coming to that well at midday, she's kind of trying to avoid the crowds because she has a reputation. Maybe that's how Jesus learned. It doesn't matter how he knew it, but he knows that her life has been ruled by chasing men, by romance, and it's, it's not a winning strategy. It hasn't served her well. And he knows that the living water of God's grace, the gift of salvation that he wants to give her, is the only cure for her addiction. And he knows that like all medicine, it has to be applied to her sickness. So he calls her out. Go, bring your husband, he says to her. He calls her out not to condemn her, but to save her. Let me, let me just ask you, have you let God call you out on your sins? Or are you still trying to hide them and avoid them and not talk about them? God in his grace calls us out on our sins, and here's why. Because when we let him, we discover that he's a savior. We discover that he's come to give us a gift that overcomes our sins, that sets us free from our sins. Someone has written that the, the living water of God's grace always flows to the lowest part of us to our deepest sins. And we must let it go there because there's no other way to rejoicing. You know, in the story, the woman goes on to discover that Jesus is the Messiah she's believed in and dreamed of all her life. And when she discovers who he is, that he is her savior, she runs and tells all of her friends, the whole town comes out to see him. There's this beautiful moment of rejoicing, but it comes because she let Jesus call her out on her sin and then discover that the reason he did is because he wants to give her the gift of salvation because he is her savior. Paul says we, we've got to remember that because when we do it becomes a safeguard for us. God doesn't step into my life for years identifying our sins in order to condemn us for them but to reveal himself as our savior. When we understand that, when we receive that gift from him, we discover the reason for rejoicing and we discover one other thing I'm gonna talk about in just a moment. You know, this week, Rhonda and I are gonna go away for three days and uh, to a vacation house of some friends of ours to celebrate our anniversary. And they found out that our anniversary was coming up and, and they came and offered to us to, to stay in their vacation home for a few days. And, you know, there was a time in my life when if somebody made an offer like that, I, I would have said, thanks, but, you know, we can't receive that. We can't take advantage of that. I would feel like it wasn't fair and, you know, and, and I would have resisted receiving that gift. But what I've learned now is that when people make an offer like that, it's because they love you. It's because they care about you. It's because they want to create relationship with you. It's not about me proving that I'm self-sufficient or independent or humble. It's about their love for me. And so I've learned to receive the gift. We'll go to that little vacation home and spend a couple of days just thanking God that we have friends who give us gifts in the same way God wants you to receive the gift of his salvation that you might know that he is your savior. Because Paul knows that God in his love for him has given him righteousness, he says in verses 10 and 11 of Philippians 3, I want to know him. 
I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in death and somehow to attain to the resurrection. I want to know Christ. I want to know this man who wants to give me a gift of right relationship with him, who wants to give me the gift of righteousness with God, who calls me out of my sins because he wants me to know him as my savior. You see, church, our love for God grows in the soil of his grace. And it is in receiving the gift that we discover the desire to know him. You will want to know God deeply as well when you stop trying to prove you belong and rejoice in the gift that he has given you, his righteousness. By the way, in verse 11, when Paul says that he wants to know Christ and somehow attain to the resurrection of the dead, he's not saying that, that he hopes he will attain to the resurrection, that he hopes that somehow he can earn that. He's saying, I don't know how it happens, but I know God gives it as a grace, gives it as a gift. And so I want to know him. Again, church, your love for God grows in the soil of his grace. Many believers wonder where a, a genuine, authentic love for God comes from. It comes from receiving the gift of his grace and his righteousness and discovering that he calls you out on your sins because he's a, he's a savior. That woman at that well, she needed to be saved from a lifetime of, uh, as the eagle said, looking for love in all the wrong places. And Jesus calls her out on that so that she would discover that he is her savior. He wants to do the same in your life and mine. And out of that discovery grows your desire to know him and to love him. You know, one last story before we close. When I was a boy, I dreamed of having a dad. I know you're thinking to yourself, well, if you were a boy, you had a dad. Yeah, but my biological father was, was gone from uh, before I was old enough to remember. And by the time I was six years old, uh, I saw other kids that had dads, and I thought, I really want to have a dad. How come I don't have a dad? I want to have one. And then my mom remarried, and shortly after that, she, she sat me down. I was the oldest of our siblings. And she said, Greg, Leroy, the man that I married, he, he wants to adopt you. He wants you to be his son and to have his name. And I remember thinking, you mean I, I, I get to have a dad? You're offering me to have a dad? She said, yeah. She said, do you want Leroy to adopt you? I said, yes, I want to have a dad. I carry his name to this day. Just celebrated his birthday this week. God wants you to know that he desires to adopt you as his child. If you've never received Jesus as your savior, in the moment you do, you become his family, his son, his daughter. And it's a gift that he gives to you. It's not because you do religious things. We don't get to heaven because we're good people. We become good people when heaven gets into us. And it happens when you receive Jesus as your savior. And so the simple message in God's word is to understand that it's a gift and he's offering it to you. you know, for those of us who have received Christ as our savior, Paul is reminding us here to rejoice, to celebrate it often, to remember that we have a righteousness from God because that rejoicing is a safeguard for us. It puts our feet on solid ground. 
And that's what he wants you to do today, to rejoice, just to celebrate, to look up and say, thank you. I want a free microwave at the department store, not because I did anything, but because they wanted to give it. Would you pray with me today? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace and your love. We thank you that the Bible reveals that we have a righteousness that comes from you, not from us. That it's a gift given freely to us, just like that communion that we received a little bit ago. God, teach us to rejoice in that. Teach us to celebrate, to say thank you, that our feet might be set on the solid ground that rejoicing brings. God, teach us to let you call us out on our sins so that we can discover that you are our Savior. We pray for that. We ask your blessing on us as we step into this week with heaven in us, making us good people. We pray for that. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for spending some time with us. Now may the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit go with you throughout this week. Go with God and tell someone you love them. Have a great afternoon. Let me just ask you, have you let God call you out on your sins? Or are you still trying to hide them and avoid them and not talk about them? God in his grace calls us out on our sins and here's why. Because when we let him, we discover that he's a savior. We discover that he's come to give us a gift that overcomes our sins, that sets us free from our sins. Someone has written that the, the living water of God's grace always flows to the lowest part of us, to our deepest sins. And we must let it go there because there's no other way to rejoicing.